Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Michael Kinder. Michael is president of Kinder Scientific, a company known for their solutions in animal behavior assay development. He's here to discuss the underlying technologies used in startle systems. Let's jump in. All right, question number one, and I guess, you know, I was thinking about this as you were presenting too. I'm sure you probably get this question all the time, but is it still possible to do good startle research with a piezo plexiglass sensor assembly-based system? It's just that the individuals uh, using them need to make sure that they completely understand the limitations and the caveats that we've talked about today. If you're, for example, as, as long as uh, you understand these characteristics of the plate and all the oscillation, you can do uh, good research, but you've got to make sure that you're calibrating in a way, or equilibrating actually, in a way that you're convinced that the same force is always giving you the same response. Okay. Another question here, we've had a few that pertain to PPI, that stands for pre-pulse inhibition, and how does the sensor technique apply to PPI studies? Well, with any um, behavioral measure you're trying to do, you want to make sure that, especially if it's uh, measuring force or some activity like that, that you accurately are standardizing the measure. However, PPI is based on comparing the animal's change in response, his inhibition, his reduction of response, to his own startle response. So it's less important in PPI. I would not say it's not important at all, but it is less important in PPI because you're looking at the reduction in response and you're using the animal's own startle amplitude against his inhibited amplitude to figure out what's happened. Okay, perfect. Can you talk about any other advances that have taken place over the last 25 years in startle? I mean, you've, you've been doing this for a long time and you focus today on the, the sensor assembly, but anything else to add in that regard? There, there certainly is. One of the most important things that we've learned over that 25-year uh, period is the auditory pattern of the white noise that's being presented. For, and in regards to a particular species or strain because each one of those can have a different hearing pattern and actually a different hearing loss pattern, such as a C57, they start losing their hearing rather quickly. And so if you have white noise that rolls off rather quickly at frequency and doesn't have a solid 16 kilohertz content to it, as that a C57 mouse gets older, he starts losing his hearing rather early, and you're going to get different startle responses from that same animal in two different systems that don't have the same 16 kilohertz content. So this is an area where we focused rather heavily, which allowed us to move forward in making startle reflex actually in a, a complete audiogram a hearing evaluation system for animals. So it's been a well-overlooked area, and that's an area of uh, big change in the way startle systems can work. Okay, great. And I suppose that's information that you could provide to individuals 
perhaps on a sure. one-on-one basis. Okay. You focused a bit on the fact that piezo plexiglass sensor is not an accelerometer in your talk. Why is this so important? Well, it's just a basic scientific question. As scientists, we really want to understand what it is that we're measuring. And if we uh, don't understand the actual technology, then there's a question of what our understanding is actually based on. So the literature is proliferated with the comment that the piezo plexiglass sensor is an accelerometer. It could be turned into one, just like your speedometer could turn into an accelerometer, but it's not a, an accelerometer. It does not faithfully follow the acceleration. So it's an important thing to, to raise just so that we understand what is it that we're doing. Okay. Amy asks a couple of questions. Uh, one of them is, can either technology, the piezo plexiglass sensor assembly or the load cell-based systems, detect scratching behavior? Is that something you can comment on? Well, that's more of a, yes, I can comment on that. That's more of a vibration type uh, behavior. So the question is, can we use a startle system that can measure those motor activity type behaviors and tell us what the animal is doing. But you can use either of those technologies to record the motor activity that's going on through the entire period that you're, that you're recording the animal activity. So it wouldn't be that you would have trials. In that case, you would just continuously record the animal activity. And we actually do that in one of our systems. We use the same technology and we continuously record that, and we call it a vibration monitor, and we continue, and other systems do this as well, generally record the forces that are applied to the sensing plate. So the ability to separate, however, grooming from other kinds of motor activity, you can do that. You're going to have to assume that scratching behavior is rhythmic, sinusoidal, and do some transforms and pull out that information. So the, that was a long answer. The short answer is okay. yes. <laughs> Perfect. And then Amy also asks, with regards to the, the startle systems, are you aware of you know body of data or some literature with antipsychotic compounds using load sensor technologies? You know, I know that it's out there. I couldn't, quote, guide you to those. I could, offline, I can get you to that information, but I, just right here, I'm not going to be able to point okay. to that. I'm, I'm sure that literature is out okay, there. Okay, fantastic. And, and again, just a reminder to everyone that we will answer all these questions and make them available. All right, let's see here. Georgia asks, uh, hi, Michael, in terms of animal weight, they often have people test genetic mouse models where the mice might be sick and smaller compared to a wild-type mouse, so different weights. If weight is an important factor with the plexiglass systems, how can they validate the results when comparing two genotypes where the mice are different weights? Well, that's exactly the challenge. That's the scenario where we're going to get into trouble because those weights of those two different animals are going to affect how that spring responds and those two animals, theoretically putting out exactly one Newton, are not going to provide one Newton, come, uh, the exact same value coming out of the same sensing plate. That's the point. So that is a challenge. I mentioned Alex Galajuk's paper and interested to see in more detail when that comes out. There may be some help there from Alex on how to do that. And so I'd look for Alex's paper and see if he can help us get through 
because that's actually the title of his paper, getting pulling the noise out, as he calls it, which to me is just the oscillation of the of the spring. So that is an, an example of area of concern. That's a good question. Okay. You mentioned doctor publication. Is that something, can we notify individuals when that paper is available and just provide them with a reference? You, you, you yeah. bet. If they keep in contact, we'll point them right to it. It's going to be easy enough to find. It's going to be in, in that publication, you know, methods, journal neuroscience methods, and it'll be easy enough to find. And it's coming out. I've been told it's coming out rather soon. Okay, perfect. Vincent asks, and maybe you touched on this, but perhaps you can just clarify, you know, some startle systems use cylinders to restrain animal movement during the startle measurements. In the video that you presented, there was no such restrainer. So I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that? And, you know, what are the advantages or, or disadvantages, I guess, of the two sure. methods? Sure. Uh, first of all, pretty well-known study. If you want to stress an animal, put him in a tube. And it's also pretty well established that startle is infamous for its variability. So why do we put them in a tube? Well, we have to restrain them. And it's an easy way to restrain them. Our, our approach was not to use tubes. We've never used tubes. We used a square box with an adjustable ceiling, giving them some spatial relief above them, but not allowing them to rear up so that we don't get into trouble with them trying to fight their way out. This has been shown to be pretty effective in rats. Not so much in mice. doesn't really matter. Put them in a tube, put them in a box. really doesn't matter for mice. But also because Kinder Scientific is so focused on using startle in an auditory fashion, the plexiglass tube is just not lending itself that well to allowing the sound to get in from all different frequencies in a manner that we would like. So that's another reason we don't use a tube. We have a rather open ceiling type, which has bars on it now for our auditory work. So, I mean, you can do, you can use tubes. There's been an awful lot of work out there, and I would not suggest that using tubes is a bad thing. I wouldn't say that. It, it's a way to restrain the animal and center them over the, the piezo plexiglass sensor. Or if you're using a load cell, the way to center them over that load cell. You do want the animal centered over the the transducer, not just the sensor, but the transducer. You want them centered over that transducer. So we stayed away from it for those reasons. It's still a viable way to restrain the animal, just not so much if you're doing auditory work. Okay, great. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you. Here's a very general question, but what is the most important thing for a beginner to achieve and what sort of considerations, I guess, goes into starting a, a startle response type of study? Well, from our talk today, you can see that I have a, a, a big focus on standardizing the system and the chambers so that they produce same value for the same force. This is really important to get used to it, to understand it, to do it every study, at the beginning of every study. I suggest you do it at the beginning of every day because there's no reason it's very quickly done it really just takes moments, a, a few minutes to convince yourself that your system is properly standardized and our new system that it's properly calibrated because our new system is calibrated directly to a unit of force. But that's very important. Also, just making sure that you start to collect good historical data because you want to be able to see over time, is something going on with the system? Is something going on with your animals that you're being provided? So you really want to have good 
historical data archives and be able to look at that historical data over time and make sure that you're getting the same basic results in your controls today as you were last year or five years ago. Fantastic. Thank you for that answer. Going back perhaps to your the previous question about restrainers, Caitlin has asked how restricted should a rodent's movement be while in the restraint? Well, this comes back to that slide that I showed on was the animal sitting still just prior to elicitation. So you don't want to have it so open that they're walking around. And mice are little robots. They're not quite as smart as rats. And so you can have a mouse walking across the floor and startle him, and he keeps right on motoring along. A rat, however, this is generalized. It's not 100% true. But you startle a rat, and he kind of hunkers down, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. The mouse, he just keeps going. So it, it, and a lot of it depends on the, the, the species and are the strain, but mostly the species you're using. So you, you don't want so much act, uh, room in a startle chamber. You don't want so much freedom to the animal that they can really begin to motor around a lot. You don't want them to be able to rear up. You, you want them to have something above their head that causes them to stop before they can actually rear up very far. I, I don't like it when I see an animal that their fur is touching all sides of the tube. Because in that situation, when the animal rears up, you saw how that mouse responded in those videos. He became airborne. Imagine that mouse being in a tube and what the sensing plate's going to look like when he hits that ceiling. It's just really going to mess with the, the startle response. So you really don't want to restrain them so much that they're squeezed against that tube. You need They need some room to move so that their reflex is actually not being pressed against the ceiling of whatever the restrainer is. So you do have to restrain them, though. Otherwise, they're going to they're gonna motor around a while, even if you acclimate them, especially the mice are going to motor around in there, and that's going to mess up you. Great. That's a, an excellent response. So, um, Michael, this is from Georgia again. She thanks you for the talk. And I, I just have to – it's fairly lengthy, so let me paraphrase. They, she often is asked where to place the analog step in the trial order. And she always tells people to place the analog step immediately prior to the startle pulse. And this is especially true for people running pre-pulse inhibition. She says this to avoid any noise from the animal reaching or reacting to the pre-pulse stimulus. So she's asking if this is the right advice and where is the best place to start recording the animal response. In a system that does not have dual windows, she's exactly right. So you would classically, in your startle-only trials, put your 50 millisecond, 40 millisecond, 115 dB pulse, and right at that same moment you started that that white nose burst, you would start the analog window. And then in the pre-pulse trial, you would also start the window at the beginning of the pre-pulse burst because you really want to try and make sure that you didn't startle them with that pre-pulse. So in a system that allows you only one analysis window, you do it just exactly as she suggests. But if you have a dual analysis window, you've got this option where you can record a very wide window and use, again, that first quarter of a second, that first 250 milliseconds, and determine whether or not the animal was, uh, you know, active 
just prior to the startle pulse or just prior to the to the pre-pulse and know with certainty what they were doing going into the trial, going into the elicitation portion of the trial. And then the second portion, this next window, can focus specifically on the area that you want to have looking for the startle amplitude, the startle response. So it depends on your system. If you've got a system that has one analysis window, you need to do it as she said. If you've got one that's got two windows, then you got some options okay. that give you more information. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.